I want to tell you a little bit about myself and a little bit about my journey. It's not just my journey, it's our family's journey. Just after, actually the week before 9-11, I was called from Bayview Glen Church up to Newmarket, about 20 miles north, to pastor at Valley View. And the world shook in the wake of 9-11. But as it turned out, God had more shaking to do in me over the next many years. After I moved to Valley View, um, God just energized me. And everything that we seemed to do moved up and to the right by human standards. Attendance doubled, staff tripled, uh, many people came to faith in Christ, many were being discipled, people were in small groups, and uh, we were just kind of riding the wave for about three years. And then in September 2004, my situation shifted. On a Thursday afternoon, late in the day, I got called home from work. And I learned that my oldest son, in his first three weeks of high school, had been beaten up by a gang 11 times. It rocked me. I had no idea. He lived in our home and I didn't see it. 16 hours later, my wife and I sat in the oncology department office and learned that she was diagnosed with what would become multiple myeloma a bone marrow cancer that carried with it a life sentence of three to five years. It was at that time one of the most painful ways for a human being to die. My world had been turned upside down in 16 hours. The name Job came to mind for me. I leaned into God as best I knew how and I pressed on and we fought hard for two years. And in the fall of 2006, my world crashed again when I was diagnosed with compassion fatigue, burnout, and depression. The caregiver that I was seeing pulled me out of work, told me that I had a 50% chance of ever returning to pastoral ministry again, and said that I should just rest. And I'm thinking, okay, we just went from a two-income family to a one-income family because she can't work anymore. And now you're telling me to stop work and, by the way, rest. How do you figure that? I had a son that was now derailing. I had another son who was younger and just wasn't too sure what was going on. I had a wife that I was just trying to keep alive and I wasn't able to even communicate with them. I was so sick that at one point, I went for eight days in our home, not able to speak to anyone. But I remember saying to myself, let's just let God be God and see what he might do. I had a great caregiver. I, was, uh, I rested, uh, this skilled helper helped me over the next five months to learn how to rest. He said to me, you've pursued God hard all your life, and now you don't have capacity to even pray, do you? And he was right. I hadn't been able to pray in months. 
I had been going on one hour's sleep for three months, one hour's sleep a night. And my church was falling apart. I was not making good leadership decisions. We had lost 100 people. That's bigger than the average attendance of most Canadian churches. Over the next five months, this skilled caregiver helped me to rest. He said, you've worked hard to pursue God, but you now need to understand that underneath are the everlasting arms. And in in those months, he helped me get onto a path that I later learned would serve me well. Essentially, he taught me to do what Jesus called us to do in John chapter 15 when he said, abide in me. G.K. Chesterton said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. You see, Jesus never said, come unto me and I'll make you comfortable. Jesus never said, leave a career in engineering and become a pastor and it's going to be smooth sailing because you're obeying me. Now Jesus says, come on and follow me. And by the way, you might not have a place to lay your head. And they might pick on you. In fact, they might even hate you because of me. And by the way, don't expect any reward this side of heaven. You see, friends, the way of Jesus is the way of the cross, and the way of the cross is not for wimpy people. Don't we all know that? Jesus says, if you're going to walk in this way with me, you are going to need to abide in me. But how do you and I abide in Jesus when we live in a world that beats up more people than it builds up? Can I be really honest? How do we abide in Jesus when we worship in churches that beat more people up than build up some days? Jesus said, abide in me. I've been just resting in those words for almost five years now. And I I think Jesus' words grow out of some of the other teachings in Scripture. Isaiah, or the psalmist, says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then he, he goes on and he says, He restores my soul. And Isaiah, he says, Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. We sang about that this morning. And Paul says in Romans chapter 12, hey, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, God is in the business of renewing his people. Do you believe that? That was weak. God is in the business of renewing his people. Do you believe that? Yeah, Yeah, he is. He wants nothing more than to take you where you are right now And renew your soul. He delights in you. He rejoices over you. He quiets you with his love. You are made in his image. And he would like nothing more than to renew you. Now. Today. Tomorrow. This weekend. Every day. 
over the last few years as I've been looking at this concept of renewal, uh, I'm, I'm very much aware that Orthodox Christianity has known for millennial, millennium that the secret to abiding is that we know Christ. But as I've been reading these four chapters of John 14 to John 17, I've been seeing that there are four persons that have to be involved if you and I are going to be renewed as we abide in Christ. I think everybody knows that the Father is the goal, isn't he? Sometimes we overlook that as followers of Christ, but isn't Jesus the way to the Father? Isn't it God whom we seek? I know they're all three in one, but pull them apart just for a moment. In their personalities, the Father is our goal. We want to spend eternity with God in heaven. And the only way to the Father is through Jesus. So what does the Father do? Well, the Father sent Jesus to begin with. And then later John talks in the same passages that the Father also sends the Spirit. Jesus said, I will talk to the Father, I'll ask him, and he will send another one who will be your advocate And he introduces the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus says, I'll talk to the Father and he'll send the Spirit. The Father sent Jesus and the Father sent the Spirit. The Father's got to be core in us as we abide in Christ. And we know what the Son did, don't we? Do you know the gospel? We know we're sinners. We know that on our own we're apart from God because of our sin. And we know that Jesus, Jesus said in this passage... I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. We know that Jesus became obedient, Philippians says, became obedient even unto death, death on a cross. So the Father sends Jesus, the Father sends the Spirit, Jesus is obedient to the Father. In another place, Jesus says, there's nothing that I do that I haven't had instruction first from the father. That's kind of like a military scene where the, the person over the troop says, we don't move until the commander says move. And we don't move anywhere except where the commander says. And we don't move until he says now. And that's what Jesus said about the father's work in his life. Now just think about this for a moment. If Jesus needed to hear from the Father to get his marching orders, do we think we're better than that and don't need to hear from the Father? If Jesus needed to hear directly from the Father, then we need to also hear from him. How do we do that? Well, the third person involved is the Spirit. And and John, he just talks all about what the Spirit does in these passages. John chapter 14, verses 15 to 17, he says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. First thing the spirit does, brings us truth. The world cannot accept him, Jesus says, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. Notice that the Father gives us another advocate when he gives us the Holy Spirit. When we take Christ as Savior and Lord, we get the Holy Spirit as well. What a deal. 
In fact, the Holy Spirit becomes the seal. Like the old seal of the king's ring into a hot wax around a rolled scroll came with power and all of the, the, the strength of that king and his kingdom were shown in that seal. And no one could break that seal except the king or his designate. And so when the scriptures say, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, that means nobody can do anything about that seal except the one who put it there, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If you've taken Christ as your savior, you've received the spirit and he's a seal for your life so that no matter what comes, it doesn't matter that your oldest son was beaten up by a gang. It doesn't matter that you're afraid you're gonna lose your wife to cancer. It doesn't matter that your church has fallen apart in front of your eyes. It matters that you've been sealed in Christ by the Spirit. These are hard lessons to learn about abiding. But the Spirit isn't just present and just isn't just a seal. The Spirit is intimately involved in our capacity to abide in Jesus. He's active. In verse 16, we learn that he comforts us. In verse 26, it's, oh, by the way, he comforts us. He doesn't make us comfortable. If I could summarize Jesus' teachings up for us, I would say Jesus came to comfort the troubled and to trouble the comfortable. So if you're troubled, Jesus will comfort you. But if you're comfortable, watch it. He'll trouble you. He did that for me. He's done that for me many times. So he comforts us, the Spirit does. He teaches us all things, verse 26 says. He will remind us of all that Jesus taught us. Verse 27 says he tells us that he will be to us peace. But there's a role for a fourth person in this abiding. That's me and you. Because we can't be passive. We can't just listen to wonderful Tyndale singers and think that we're good. Because it, doesn't this chapel just ring when those singers sing? That's such a blessing. But if I don't engage my heart in that worship, then that worship is meaningless to me. I have a role in abiding. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Abide in me. So how do we do that? How do we abide in Jesus? Well, we spend time with him. Is it Brother Lawrence or Andrew Murray who called it practicing the presence of God? Henry Nouwen went to great lengths and talked about uh, the push of the world that would think that when we pray, we are wasting time with Jesus. I can affirm that. Many of you are going to be teachers, lawyers, doctors, therapists, helpers, social workers. And I can tell you that 
Everything in your life will push against you to keep you from abiding. Abiding with Jesus is like pushing a rope uphill. It's hard. It doesn't come easily. But Jesus modeled for us how to abide in the Father and he gave us capacity to abide in him. In this passage, he lists a bunch of things that happen to us as we abide in him. If we abide in him, we keep his commands. We see Jesus as we meet with him. We, we see him spiritually. I have friends who see him physically. He appears to them as they abide with him. I haven't had that privilege yet. I'm not sure if it would scare me more than I would want, but I'm open to it if God would give it to me. If we abide with Jesus, the scripture says we live physically and spiritually. If we abide with Jesus, we realize that he's in the Father and the Father's in him and they are in us. John 17, that great prayer. He says, just help them know. We're all together in this. We're one. If we abide in Jesus, he says, we'll experience peace. And by the Spirit's help, we'll remember what Jesus taught us. The true disciple of Christ is the one who Jesus says, I know you. Well, he had some interesting things to say about this, didn't he? He says, I know my sheep and my sheep know my voice. And I have to ask myself, how do I know the voice of Jesus if I don't abide in him? I love that on your website this morning, I was invited to come to a prayer chapel early to do some listening prayer. If you haven't learned how to do that, take advantage of it. That's just key to abiding in Jesus. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, we did, did we not prophesy in your name? and Did we not drive out demons in your name? And perform many miracles? And Jesus says, I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Huh? So I can walk through my whole life, say that I'm a Christian, and yet not abide in Jesus, and in the end have him say to me, I didn't even know you. Here's what I believe. I believe God wants you to abide in him more than you want to. Not only that, I believe he has more for you as you abide in him than you could ever imagine. Certainly more than you want right now, but more than you could ever imagine. I think some of the spiritual disciplines that have sustained the church for millennium would do us well. A confessional life, a devotional life, a meditative life, a listening life, an obedient life. Here's the question I want you to consider. Right now you stand in front of a life that's before you 
And you have the opportunity to make a decision to abide in Jesus. And I don't know what God will bring your way. Some of you are just checking this place out to see if it might be a university that's good for you. Well, I can tell you, I like what this university's done to Morgan. But you have no idea what's ahead for you. The question is, will you abide in Jesus no matter what's ahead? My church is stronger than ever. I'm in my 18th year there. They didn't fire me. Do you know what my board of elders did when I burned out? They called me in and they said, just go home and rest. Your paycheck will come like normal. For five months, they paid me as if I was working. They honored God. They honored my family. They honored me and that helped nurture me to health. Way to go, church. You don't hear many of those good stories. I have a great church. I love them. I think they like me. Most of them. On a good day. My son is happily married. And he's a dad. And he's learning how to care for his little four-month-old son. That someday he's going to have to walk his son through the same kind of stuff I had to walk him through. I baptized that son of mine about six years ago. This morning before coming here, we left our home at Balsam Lake and we drove downtown to Toronto where I dropped my wife off for her treatment because she's one of the few multiple myeloma survivors that have lasted more than 15 years. I could not walk this journey unless someone had taught me to abide in Christ. And you have the opportunity today to say, no matter what has passed for me, whatever's ahead, I'm going to choose to abide in Jesus. The question is, will you? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. My soul was so nurtured and charged up by the worship here. I thank you for Melissa and for the, the Tyndale singers and the gifts you've given them that stir our souls to worship you. And I thank you for the, the community of faith that is here at Tyndale. And for the dent that this university is making on the greater community for your kingdom. I pray that you will bless them. But today, Lord, for each of us, I lead us in a brief prayer of confession. Lord, forgive me for not abiding in you the way I might. Thank you for forgiveness. Cleanse me by the blood of Christ. 
and fill me afresh with your spirit that I might be strengthened to move forward abiding in Jesus. So that I might know the Father's will. So that I might know how to distinguish the voice of Christ in my life. So that I might be able to get my marching orders through the commands that the Holy Spirit gives me as I rest prayerfully with you. Help me to be in your word. Help me to hear you speak to me. And then give me the guts to obey whatever you call me to. And if you'll do that, I'll trust that wherever you take me and whatever I do, I'll be walking with you under your command and thereby fulfilling your will for my life. And all God's people agreed and said, Amen. Would you stand with me? A simple benediction, friends. Go now in the love of God our Father. Go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And go in the fullness of his spirit who resides in you. Amen. God bless you.